in my heart of hearts. I'd love to hear this whole song. I've never really gotten tired of this classic rendition of a song that really nobody knows where it came from. Its history is mired in ancient American music history, so much of it lost to time. It's rumored that it was written by a young prostitute who lived in New Orleans, whose family was already of ill repute long before she became of age. And um, it's an incredible song. It's an absolute American standard called House of the Rising Sun, but probably most famously covered of the dozens, if not hundreds of people who have interpreted that song right there by the British blues slash R&B slash rock band, The Animals. Some would even say a proto-punk band when they were at their most freewheeling and at their most loose, but right there. But the thing that from the second, that opening note that you hear... Is that guitar line by someone by the name of Hilton Valentine? He mm-hmm. was the founding guitarist of the Animals. He died earlier this week at the age of seventy-seven, and we're at that point now where a lot of these, you know, sort of unsung heroes of the rock era are going to start passing, and so we're going to be doing a lot of Angel of Death reporting here, unfortunately, on the Brian Oak Show. Which, by the way, episode one twenty-nine of the Brian Oak Show being recorded right now in the Smart Start MN Studio here in South Minneapolis at forty-eighth in Chicago, very near the Parkway Theater, Sovereign Grounds, the former Pepitos, R.I.P. Pour some salsa out. Oh, man, did I love that place. It was El El Burrito briefly. But we're in a cool little neck of the woods here in South Minneapolis, and it fills me with great pride to talk to so many local musicians and politicians and artists and figures. But right there, we played that song because Hilton Valentine passed at the age of 77, a young skiffle artist who Chaz Chandler, the bass player of The Animals, founded him. Now, Chas Chandler would, of course, go on to leave the animals. They broke up early, like 66. He would go on to manage a young man by the name of Jimi Hendrix. I, that sounds... Have you heard of him? rings a bell. He's yeah. familiar, yeah. No. And so Chas Chandler obviously had an ear and an eye and an understanding of what it was all about. Chas Chandler sort of famously said years later, he's like, you know, it was fun to be in a band like the animals. It was fun to play bass, but there wasn't any real money in it. Turns out when you get into management and production and licensing, that's where actual money starts to be made. But he was the one who found Hilton Valentine playing in some skiffle club locally and super like everyone was losing their minds. He's like, we need to get him in to the band and they got him into the band they changed the name to the animals and that was the song already the animals had started to make some inroads in the early blues r&b folk british scene in the early 60s that was the song that put them number one on the charts both in the uk and the u.s and a reason that we're even talking about hilton valentine again no one that is listening right now will probably ever hear his name again as long as you're alive And we probably will never bring him up again. But I feel like if you write that riff that we heard at the beginning of that song, you you deserve your mention. You deserve your spot because life is short and all of it's fleeting. Entropy will consume everything that we ever know and ever will know. But damn, that's a good ass riff right there. So Hilton Valentine, dead at the age of 77. Hilton Thank you very much, because I will always appreciate that as long as I'm alive. It is The Brian Oak Show. I'm Brian Oak. That is Sean Bernard. Sean, before we move forward to today's guest, who I read through his bio, which he sent to me, which read a little bit like the Dead Sea Scrolls in ancient Sanskrit. It was it was a little hard to interpret, 
So we're gonna find our <laughs> we're, we're gonna find our way through it because I don't really know the right way to describe this guy, but I'm I'm starting to get my head around it. But before we get to talking to today's guest, multi instrumentalist and atmosphere creatorist Dosh, we are going to say, "OMG, your wife, an educator for young children yes. in the state of Minnesota." It's going to get her vaccine today. Yeah, she won the lottery. So she found out uh, last night. She checked her spam folder. That's where the email went to. Oh, my God. She happened to check it. So it, she, I mean, she might. Uh, she might have missed it. Who checks their spam folder? I don't know. She was just like, I'm going to see if it's there. And then she went to this thing called Spendio or something like that. Right. And went to their live feed. And sure enough, it said, you are somebody who gets to have this done. So she has her first one. Today at 4.40, and then March 3rd, she'll have another one at 4.40. One quick mention, the, the House of the Rising Sun, my father, who I rarely talk about on this show, yeah. played that song all the time. He was in a band when I was growing up. Uh, they wrote one record. Uh, they went into, were going to go in to produce it, and they didn't have the dough to do it, so they backed out of it. But that song he used to play all the time with his band, and I still it just still rips me to shreds. Fantastic it's, it's a, song. It's an as, as iconic an American for lack of a better term, roots or folk song as anything Woody Guthrie did. I mean, it 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 is early turn oh, of the century so American good. music. And again, no one knows who the actual initial author was. But it's they one of don't? those. No, because you know, I mean, obviously Dylan covered it too, and I like Dylan's cover. Everybody but covered but, it, but the animals shredded it. I mean, they absolutely. They're the ones who brought it to number one yeah. and made it an international phenomenon. But it's it's a song so steeped in the American South and and so iconic that it it doesn't. Well, again, and you want people to get credit for what they've done, but it almost doesn't matter. It's one of those that everyone covers, including your father. And um, it's just, it's a genius song. And um, it, it, it sure is. And, you know, not to get way off the path here, back to my wife with the with the vaccine, it's good news, bad news. I mean, the good news what's is... What's the bad news? Well, she gets to have the vaccine. The bad news is she can sleep around again. I'm sorry. How do how do those two relate? Sorry, I just thought I'd... you don't you don't get I you don't. To, I just wanted to lighten the mood a little. You don't bit. you don't get coronavirus from sleeping around, do you? I probably you probably do. Well, I mean, you probably could certainly, but I, I think at that point, coronavirus is only one of the many things you worry about. That's true. That's true. No, I'm I'm super happy for her, but actually, most I, of us have heard about your wife. In fact, Dosh mentioned that on the way in. He's yeah, well, like, yeah. he's like, hey, I hear Sean's wife's getting the virus or the vaccine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm thrilled for, her, but I don't know about you. The people that are posting that they're getting the vaccine, vaccine envy. Don't you have some vaccine envy? I do. I'm like, oh, well. a little bit. I I have been in the public so much since this has gone down, and I my hands are withered and red. Like a like a vulture's talons from how much hand sanitizer I've used. So I feel like so far so good. My dad has gotten his first one, is getting his second oh, one. And now he's seventy six. But my mom, who's only seventy two, she has not won the lottery yet. And so I want educators and I want frontline workers to get it. But God damn it, we're talking about my mom. And I want her I to get the thing. So I, I can't quite feel envy. Once she gets it, then I'll start envying all those Young people like your wife who have gotten it. She's 50. Oh, 50. Lotty (laughs) frickin' da. Coming up, we're going to talk to Martin Dosh, who goes by the name Dosh and has for a good long time and creates some of the most interesting soundscapes 
in my opinion, and again, it's one man's opinion, but in Minnesota music history, what I like, you know, I always talk about I love working with professionals, right? I like yeah. working with people who know what they're doing, but I also like working or learning more about people that I believe who, when I watched it, Charlie Parr, great example. Oh. He's been doing the series at First Avenue. Yeah. The most reluctant rock star I've ever seen in my entire mm-hmm. life. He curls himself into that resophonic. does. And he wishes he was anywhere else but on mm-hmm. the stage in front of you. And in doing so, becomes so important that oh. you can't put your eyes anywhere else. He He's brilliant. Now, while Martin Dosh, rather, is a little less reluctant, he does create a similar unique space not that it sounds like Charlie Parr, but that it doesn't sound like anybody else, and there's not another person for all of the incredible music that this area kicks out. There's nobody else like Dosh. So the fact that he's willing to come in today and hang out with us, I'm very, very happy about. Before we get to him, though, I just need a palate cleanser because it's been heavy lately. It's been up. It's been yep. down. You know, I mean, hi, everybody. Welcome to 2021. Turns out everything didn't go away at the end of 2020. Still aggressive. So what I've been finding solace in is these perfect pop songs, these gorgeous places that I always go to. And when you have your own podcast, you can go ahead and jerk off a little bit and play the songs that you love more than other songs. This is a song by one of my all-time favorite bands, Blondie. Is it a hit? Absolutely not. Is it wonderful? Is it like honey on my brain? Absolutely. This is Sunday Girl, Blondie on The Brian Oak Show.
So Parallel Lines in my top 10 albums of all time. And that's one of the non-hits on there, which is hard to imagine. But still, Mike Chapman and Mickey Chin, two of the greatest producers and behind-the-scenes guys of all time. If you liked anything that was ever done by The Knack, The Sweet, Susie Quattro, Blondie, numerous others, that's who did. They're like, oh, we'll come in and bring our pop mastery, but not be murderous pieces of shit like Phil Spector. (laughs) I'm sorry, was that out loud? It's the Brian Oak Show, episode 129. Right before we get to our main guest today, I do want to remind you, this show is made possible by our primary sponsor, Smart Start MN. They are Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. If you get a DUI, if someone you know gets a DUI, even before you're found guilty, you will lose your right to drive. You will lose your license. That's how the game works. But the state of Minnesota has to let you back into your vehicle if you play the game right, if you do the right thing. And this is where Smart Start MN comes in. They can get you hooked up with the Ignition Interlock Company. Now, does everyone qualify? Absolutely not. How do you find out if you qualify? You go to SmartStartMN.com. Yeah, go to SmartStartMN.com slash The Brian Oak Show. They'll give you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock system. And it's absolutely worth checking out. Plus, Mike and Ed are both super cool. They constantly make fun of me on social media, which I adore because <laughs> they know I just have to take it like a little bitch. <laughs> Today's main guest is a guy who goes by the name of Dosh. I remember hearing about Dosh many, many moons ago, long before I met him or saw him live. And people are like, well, he does this thing where he like plays drums, but he's one of these looping guys. And so he brings in other beat machines and synthesizers, maybe a guitar occasionally. And he loops it all up and he makes his own thing. And I was like, it's, he sounds lonely. I don't know. I just, I you know, what, what does that mean? What, what are these looper guys all about? Um, but then I have had a chance to see him, and it turns out if he's lonely, he's lonely with the best soundtrack that any one of us has ever had. Dosh, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing good, man. Um, it, you, you're totally right, I think, on that point about being lonely. It's, But it's not really lonely. It's sort of, um, I mean, the, the older that I get, it just makes me think of sort of like my dad a lot and like, um, cause he, he was a, mo- a Benedictine monk mm. and just sort of, um, whoa, whoa, we can't just get... blow past that. No, 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 no. I'm dying to know about you. We can't just blow past the fact that your father was a Benedictine monk. So Benedictine monks are allowed to have children. I uh, well, no, he left the priesthood to get married. I so see. He fell in love. Fell in love. Yeah, exactly. But and, so, and so what? What's I mean? Again, I'm sorry, but suddenly I feel like doing a whole different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so I mean, what, what what did you pull away from him? Bang, be, so he brought some of that, that solitude. I, I think the, the meditation of of getting up every morning at five and going and praying and doing a glorious chant and just sort of that feeling of like being connected with, even though you're like within yourself, he did basically just like encourage me to have an inner life. And so that's mm. what I'm Which doing. Which is crucial, by the way, for, yeah. for mental health, for spiritual health, and for being able to move forward. Because there will be times of great abundance in our lives, and there will be times of utter desolation. Definitely. Encouraging you to have an inner life is probably one of the greatest gifts your father ever gave you. I would think so. I mean, it's, um, it's one of those things you just have to keep working on, I guess. But, um, but that's really like when I am working in my basement and recording at night, you know, and when my kids are littler and stuff like that, it's like I, I was working in headphones. And so 
the whole looping thing and just creating these things where like, I'm just basically immersing myself in my own world. And, uh, it's just, it's like the most fun thing ever. And it's like, I'm, I'm 48 years old and it's, it's still exciting, you know, 25 years later. When you realize that you've got four hours open in front of you and this is what you get to do, you still get excited about it? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a giant playground. I mean, like drums, I'm a good drummer. Like I practiced drums for a long time. Uh Uh-huh. Decent keyboard player, but I think that my harmonic sense and whatever is, it is, you know, it's not super advanced. Like I, I can't like write a jazz tune or anything, but um, just the way that the whole looping thing works and now that the, the new devices that I have where I can control that without a computer, mind you, just, it's just, it's mostly just with uh, boxes and, and not delay pedals and stuff. Right. But um, it's just the most... Uh, it's like a narcotic. Well, let me know? ask you, because I've seen some great people who do looping before, ranging from Lissy, our neighbor to the south, oh, who yeah. now lives in Iowa, you know, to Ed Sheeran, who now is an internationally acclaimed ultra pop songwriter who wrote more than half the hits for, what was the name of that band that had Harry Styles in it? Oh, oh man! I don't Anybody? Know. One Direction. Thank you. That's <laughs> yeah. them. I mean, so I mean, he's he's an ultra zillionaire, but when he started out, he was an acoustic guy, a busker yeah. who did the looping thing like that, right? And some do it with drums as the foundation, some do it with acoustic guitar as the foundation, some do it with vocals as the foundation. But getting to know how to do it, so I mean, that that's what blows my mind is I've seen you live several times, and. You know, even if you're doing the same so-called, and I'm not. This is not meant to be dismissive or disrespectful, but if you're doing the same song, it's never the same song twice. And no. so that's why I wonder about looping. Like you know, when when a jam band is up there, sometimes they'll head off in this direction, they'll go off in that direction. But when you watch a looper, when you watch a solo performer, there's clearly a skeleton. It's almost like it is almost like jazz. Actually, when you referenced jazz earlier, you know, there's the lead, there's the chart. But then there are all these tendrils that go off in different directions musically. So you're going to go into a song, and you know the basic skeleton of what you're going to do. Absolutely. Do yeah. you? But then from there, do you allow yourself, even though people think like, well, you can't really freestyle with a loop pedal. Well, that's just all electronics. That's machine <laughs> music, which I know is utter bullshit. Do you? I mean, do you allow yourself to be like, you know, I've never done this thing with this before. I'm going to loop this part. I'm going to throw this fill in right here. I'm going to see what happens here because that kind of experimentalism live is terror it's got to be terrifying well i mean that's sort of like this uh like all the years i played with andrew bird i mean that was what was so fun about it um because he sort of embraced uh and still does to some extent but um embracing the that actual terror in front of you know huge huge audiences mm-hmm. and so he he would have to start a loop but then like the way we had our looping stuff set up was sort of like we're basically running through the same loop. this makes any sense if we're running through the same loop pedal um i'll have to count him off like one two three four then i'm the one who's looping him i'm like i'm clicking the pedal like uh-huh. boom and then we do a, a double loop so he's playing a, like a pizzicato like plucking violin thing and then i'm playing us like brushes on the snare and we get that first loop right and then we start layering on top of it but once you get the first loop right it's perfect so i mean eight years of doing that it is terrifying but it's also like when it you know <laughs> when it works it's, it's it, it can be just so beautiful exquisite you know? 
I mean, it's the whole reason you do it. And and then you still get that feeling. You get that thing where you're like, oh, my God, I've tapped into it once again. So, I mean, you've collaborated with so many people. So when I said the thing about being a looping guy and it sounds lonely because I'm like, I don't want to have to find a bassist. I don't want to have to find a vocalist. (laughs) I was kind of joking around because collaboration has also been a big defining part of your career. Before we get into one of your songs, one of the one of the things I'd like to ask about is how this all got started. You know, I know we can't spend an hour doing your biography, although we could easily spend more than that. But where are you from? Where were you born? I mean, I was I was born in L.A. I moved to Minneapolis when I was two. So I grew up here Um, and then. My parents bought me a drum set when I was a, I think I was a junior, no, sophomore in high school, because um, I was really into John Bonham and Neil Peart and uh, mm-hmm. Yes, stuff like that. But they, it was the best present, like the the most like expensive present they'd ever bought me, and I didn't think they were going to do it, but I was like, oh, I want a drum set. And then I just, And you took to it right away? I took to it right away, and I spent, I had this, you know, paper route, and I bought this super hi-fi stereo with my money and I would sit in the basement with these two speakers like on either side of my head just playing along to Rush and Yes and Jimi Hendrix and um, learning that way Um, and so I kept playing drums and then the next thing that I got maybe like eight years later was a four track Mm -hmm. and once Mm -hmm. I realized that I could um, because I had taken piano lessons as well earlier but once I realized I could on a four track I could you know record a drum beat for like two minutes and then record electric piano or piano or synthesizer and, and like make my own music. And so some, at some point you took piano too then because I took I'm, piano first. Yeah. Okay. Right. Piano. I studied or did piano from like age six to age 11. Probably. Right on. Right on. Um, but just the sort of idea of that. And then but you could craft your own entire song yeah. by yourself so in the basement. All, right. But then all these, so all these four tracks that I had, I would just would record, obsessively up when I was in New York and then I moved back here um, after college and um, those all became the basis for the first record and the second record too um, all these like it's basically like if you go you know like the hip hop producers go crate digging and they try to find the great breaks or whatever mm-hmm. like which is they're in the record store all the time. Yeah. There, yeah, there yeah. are some very local, uh, famous local hip hop producers who I'm not going to name by name that come into the record store I work at <laughs> all the time. They'll spend four hours down in the jazz section or over in the oh, R and B sure. section looking for the breaks. And I would do the same thing, but basically what I was doing was doing that with all these uh, cassettes that I had made in my four track. So I'd go in, and then when I first discovered a loop pedal, that's how I did it. So I basically just would go through cassettes and find the perfect like one bar drum break loop that and then make a song out of it you know before we go any further because i want to ask you you studied creative and writing in college right yeah that's my degree is in english yeah, yeah and yeah, i i wanted yeah. to, i want to ask about the intersection of that and what you've chosen to do with your life in terms of music but we can't go too long in the show without oh, hearing oh, yeah. songs otherwise because <laughs> yeah, to me <laughs> i could sit and talk to you for five hours about this stuff and never get bored yeah, the too, average man. person though they're going to need a little break a little music <laughs> to kind of catch their breath go that's refresh good. their cappuccino whatever the case may be we're going to play a song of yours called summertime time tell me about this song Oh, this was maybe going to be one of the tunes on the new record, but I wanted to release it uh, last summer um, just because of all the stuff that had been going on in Minneapolis and the feeling that, um, you know, the George Floyd murder and just the uh, the, the violence and just the protests and just the, fe- the 
Yeah. Our city burning to the ground. Yeah, and because I mean, I live two blocks from Cup Foods, and like I mm. used to go there all the time to mm-hmm. you know buy stuff, and um, it was just so immediate. Like the the morning after that happened, um, just going down there as people started to gather, and just feeling this like tsunami of just civic pride and like mm-hmm. rage coming together and this really, it was, just, but it was, it, I mean, obviously it's a horrible, horrible thing, but the sort of, the Powderhorn community and just the way it came together was, it was a good thing, I think. It know? wasn't in vain. No, it Good wasn't, came yeah. out of it and a ripple went out across the world, that tsunami you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, these kinds of injustices and pointless violence and senseless, stupid acts of violence and murder happen all the time, but we were lucky in the sense that this one created actual change yeah it, it, yeah it, definitely and um yeah, so, uh, as far as the song goes it's, it's also sort of a internet collaboration covid situation where um but it's got so many cool people on it you know it's uh mike lewis and chris thompson on saxophones jeremy Ovisacker, uh, my friend parker out in new york play guitar on it um it's just a, it's a and andy broder and it's just a really fun um I kind of wanted to make it like a sort of uh, not Grateful Dead, but sort of just like a, a song that never ends. It just keeps keeps going and changing. Uh, Kevin Gaston is on an organ on it too. And, Don't tell me you didn't want it to be like the Grateful Dead. I can see the Steely <laughs> logo up on your yeah. hat right now, man. Okay, <laughs> I I get where you're coming from, Martin. But I'm just, just meaning the feeling that like I don't want. I'm I'm, I'm getting so old that like. I want to make music that I want to listen to. Right. And I want to listen to songs that are like seven minutes long. I want to hear things that just like keep going. And as long as they aren't boring, it's like, why, why does a song have to be three and a half minutes long? I couldn't agree know? more. First of all, 48's not that freaking old, okay? Because I'm older than you, so pipe down, little fella, okay? Knock that shit off right now. Martin Dosh is our guest. Dosh here on The Brian Oak Show. This one's called Summertime Time.
Music of Dosh, I've only ever seen you live solo. I have not seen you with the many people you've collaborated with. Artists like Andrew Bird that you played with for years, uh, the Cloak Ox, that sort of thing. I've only seen you solo, so I think of you as a looper and a solo guy. But clearly when you are doing a collaborative effort 
with that many people. And when you are surrounded by so many talented musicians, when you're live, here's my question about music like that. How the hell do you know when the song is over? How the hell do you know? I mean, because seven minutes didn't seem too long, but I mean, like, as you're playing, everyone's having a fantastic time. You're feeling the groove. The jam is right there. You are riding the train. How do you know when the train pulls into the station? Does everyone just feel it at the same time? It's hard for me to believe that everyone's on the same page the whole time. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, with regards to my stuff... um, it's probably more just like whenever I decide like the tune is over. Right. Um, but you know, with the cloak acts and stuff, that's the, those tunes are way more structured and, um, right. But it's like pop tunes, but like, like as far as me doing my thing with other musicians, um, I guess with the larger ensemble, it is kind of just sort of whenever I decide it's done, it's done, you know? So I'm sort of kind of calling the shots, I guess, as far as like, okay, this, this doesn't sound good. Let's stop or whatever. <laughs> or, or just, I mean, I suppose at some point, like anything, you know, whether you're having a conversation with someone or doing a sport or whatever, you can kind of feel the energy wane. You're like, time to wrap it up. That was pretty great. Let's go ahead and leave them wanting more. End before everyone else wants it to end, which exactly. is a lesson I've never learned. I have never <laughs> learned that lesson. It is the Brian Oak Show. We're talking to Dosh, who that song, so that song was one that came out last summer in the wake of George Floyd. Again, the Smart Start MN studio here is 48th in Chicago, a mere 10 blocks south of where that all went down. And when we watched Lake Street burn, for whatever reason, not only did that particular juncture of 38th in Chicago, where George Floyd lost his life, did not burn, but then became this incredible tribute. And so it, it was cordoned off, and it became yeah. it became this shrine to how we can all learn to do better, how we can all hopefully learn from one another, how we have to move forward. Otherwise, none of it makes any sense and nothing good is going to come from it. So I love the fact that we're here and we're there and we're that we're that close. That is a song that you said, as you alluded to, might appear on the new record, was about to appear on the it, new record. It was sort of part of the whole batch of tunes I was working on, but, mm-hmm. but I just I wanted to release it like ASAP. Got it. Um, to, because it's called Summertime Time, and I, I don't want to wait till 2021. Um, and so I got a bunch of people to remix it. So, and then I'm, um, I'm actually going to have vinyl of that coming out. Uh, I should be getting them in the next probably two weeks. Of that particular song? Of that song, plus all the, all five remixes by right. like Andy Broder and the Nunnery and um, Matt Chang and Baths did a remix. Um you know, speaking of your vinyl, I own Milk Bunny on vinyl, and it wasn't fucking cheap, so I don't know when you got so cool, <laughs> all right? But it was not inexpensive to get, but it did come out in 2013, so, yeah. I mean, it's been a long time since you've put out a new record. Now, you're talking about having a new one out this summer, likely, maybe even a little earlier than this summer. I, I think May or June. Okay, like, well, yeah. then that sounds wonderful, but that'll still be coming up on eight years since the last record, and I know that every you know things change. You've obviously been doing plenty of music between now and then, but why eight years between a solo record? Um, I think that I just got totally burned out on editing um, and, and working on a computer, and so, like, just the sort of brain fry that I would feel by, you know, moving around waveforms and Pro Tools and just that whole vibe, just, like, it didn't kill it for me, but um, I was just wanted to get more into um, 
just kind of hardware and just like not looking at a screen. And I did two records with my friend John Davis, uh, Dash and Ghost Band, Def Kith, um, and a bunch of other, I mean, Cloak Ox stuff. And well, those, and that's what I mean. I, like, yeah. you, it's not like you ever stopped doing music, but, you know, to put out a proper Dosh record. Yeah, I just wasn't feeling, so, yeah. Something has to happen to get you back into the game after you've been out of the game for eight years, because that's a long time. It is, yeah. I mean, the thing, so, I mean, um, the Walker asked me to do a, or gave me a commission to do uh, Sounds for Silence. I think it was in 2018, and that sort of jumped, got me going again as far as um, composing new material. Two of the songs from that concert are, you know, three years later now, um, sort of made their way onto this. But it's taken three years to, like, develop them to the point where they're just perfect and, like, ready for everybody to hear. Um, And then also that fall, I started working with, uh, or did a thing with the James Sewell Ballet, and where um, they used a bunch of my music, and I had to get this new loop pedal to sort of make it all happen. And that sort of is what the, the sort of catalyst for, like, writing all this new music. Um, and then once I got that little six-track loop thing, which can hold 100 songs, basically, in it, um, I just started working every night. And I mean, even now with this new record coming out, I still have probably, you know, almost 30 new tunes that are you know so what is that going to be a five disc album what are we looking at here <laughs> well i mean i i, I don't know who, I, I don't know if anybody wants to hear all this stuff but it, it's it's all really cool you know it's you know is it weird not i mean so like you talk about doing collaborations like the last song we just heard and you talk about the sort of internet collaborations we have so many musicians on this show who speak to their frustration of what the last year has looked like right are you someone that needs live music to thrive or are you okay with a year of entering a hermitage and, and, you know, refocusing on things? Do you miss doing what you do live? Oh, absolutely. No, no. I mean, I, I do. I mean, the, but the, you see me play, so you know the the sheer amount of work it takes to get all my gear, like <laughs> the giant Fender Rhodes, the drum set, a huge mixer. Like Not only sense. a lot of gear, but what, what blows my mind is you're like a you're like an Abbey Road Studio 1969 level engineer in the amount of stuff you have to plug in and make sure is communicating sure with each working. other. Yeah. That's <laughs> mind boggling. That's that's like. You're you're beyond roadie at that point. You're a musician. You are a gear handler, and then also some sort of bizarre techno wizard. I think the main thing with with all the stuff, like because I've been doing the whole loop solo thing since like 2002, I guess. Um, so 19 years. Um, Let's just call it up 20 years. Coming up on 20 years. Coming up on 20 years. Coming up on 20 years. But the the thing that I've learned the most is to be able to troubleshoot things. And so, like, if one cable is, you know, there's, like, 50 cables, something's wrong in the in the feed, like, what's going wrong? Mm-hmm. And I have to figure it out as the song is playing. Crazy. You know, like, what cable is it? You know, so, so many memories oh. of just being on tour, just, like, 
having one bad cable and just like freaking out and like, oh my God. Do you ever watch, and so over the years, of course, you've been on stages and bills with other bands and have gone to see plenty of other bands that do things, if not identical to what you do, similar. There's this great Canadian band called Holy Fuck. Oh, if yeah. you'll pardon my use of the French. And they did something, and when I saw them in the entry one time, someone begged me to go, and then they were described as an electro jam band. I'm like, oh, that sounds awful. Zero percent <laughs> chance I'm going. But I went with my good friend Paul Charchin, who was just on a few episodes ago here on the Brian Oak Show. And they did this thing where they set up a bunch of just wooden sawhorses, like real basic, a lot of, lot of plywood laying out. And then they had... I'm not joking, maybe dozens of keyboards and weird little machines and just buckets and and bins full of cables, and they were Frankensteining their units together over the course of the entire show. They had a live drummer, but then everybody else was on these keyboards and various pieces of Whoa. electronic equipment, but, but they would like, all of a sudden they would rip one out and throw it on the side <laughs> and put another one in, and they were working cables the whole time. I'm like, that seems like a living nightmare. <laughs> it was one of the greatest live shows I've ever seen in my life. So, I mean, do you see other bands that do things at least akin to what you do that you enjoy? Or have you seen them? Um, I'm always upset. I mean, like not, I, I guess not always cause I haven't been, <laughs> been to that many shows lately, but, um, not lately. No, but, uh, no, the one band I saw, I've seen it you know, as far as looping stuff, like, uh, back when Tanya Braxton was in battles, like the, the first battles record, um, they played the triple rock and RIP. I was just, com- yeah, oh God, mm-hmm. I, I was just, uh, always obsessed by when I saw someone doing looping, like just going up on stage just like trying to figure out how they were doing it because they were basically doing like a four-man loop thing where like Tanya Braxton would do like a one-bar loop and then all of a sudden except for the drummer um the guitar player and the keyboard player would be able to sort of take his loop and multiply it and it was just it was so cool (laughs) the drummer wasn't looping he was just playing along with the the main loop but um you know that I don't know what that tune is called but it's like the at that point, is it even, is it, and again, I know now we're getting real esoteric, I mean, yeah, and, and, yeah, but, but I mean, at that point, no, 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 but I, I, this is fascinating to me. At that point, is it still music as the average fan would understand it, or are we now looking at wave signs and, and algorithms? And, and, I, think I mean, just, at a certain point, you become more of a technician than a musician is I, that possible? I think it is possible, but I think in that situation, it's more just like I'm. It's it's my desire to understand what's happening. So it's like it's the same thing as like when you hear like "Third Snow from the Sun" by Jimi Hendrix or whatever. Like even as a young kid, when I first heard that, I was like, I just wanted to understand how he made all those sounds, or like the the sound on the the very first note of Pink Floyd's "Echoes," like that 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 ro- Rhodes hit. Yep. Like, I was just like, what is that sound, you know? So it's more just like a, a curiosity and just a like a, you know, just curiosity. You got some left brain, light, right brain stuff going on, though, with, <laughs> yeah, yeah. between the math and the feel. And then I'm wondering, like, with the song we just played, do you have a storyline in mind or do you just go with your gut on it? I just go with my gut. I mean, because that, that tune sort of like the main basic beat for it is this beat that I did, made it my... Um, my wife's farm in Wisconsin, um, like five years ago, it, but it was this perfect like Beastie Boys type break. Yeah, and I was like, this has to become something, and so it just took me, you know, years of performing that tune in different iterations, 
and then eventually getting all those other dudes on it to make it like what it is there. But it's sort of like when I hear the, the sort of perfect thing that I know could be the basis of a tune, I just know that's what it is. Also, um, mad respect for the Echoes reference because Metal is by far my favorite Pink Floyd record. They obviously have much bigger hits. They have ones that are much greater part of the canon. But Metal, now I don't smoke weed anymore, but man, (laughs) the old school Sunday afternoon getting roasted, headphones on, laying on the couch listening to record. Pink Floyd is by far my favorite yeah, I, metal I, record. I had I had written the entire all the lyrics to to uh, Echoes on my wall as a teenager. Oh God! And the performance <laughs> of that on live at Pompeii. Pompeii oh, son of a bitch! Is that good? You know, I've got people who rave about the Grateful Dead to me, and I'm like, man, live at Pompeii is really the only live release just that the, I need. Just the shirtless Gilmore. I mean, do, do we must we <laughs> sitting must... down with the guitar pointing away from him and just like playing it barefoot in jeans. In Pompeii, <laughs> oh, and th- that scene in the in the diner where they're all eating, and then they come in and do the interviews, and they ask uh, they ask uh, Gilmore, they're like, um, and he looks at the camera, clearly a little rough around the edges, a little crispy. He's like, a lot of people say we're a drug band, we're not. You can trust us. And then he stares right into the camera. It's so very good. All right, before we talk anymore, we need to get another song in. And here, you have chosen a band that I know almost nothing about. And this is my favorite when this happens because I love learning. Always learning is one of my favorite adages. I like to learn about music, and I like to know why it matters to other people. I want you to tell me about this band and why you picked this song. Oh, cool. Yeah, um, so this band is called Here We Go Magic. Um, The song is called Make Up Your Mind. Um, I met these guys when um, they opened up for Andrew Bird on a tour in the South in 2012 and um, just absolutely loved their music. Um, it's kind of like the, this, the kind of cool story behind this particular record is that it was produced by Nigel Godrich, who produces all the Radiohead records mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, but the reason that he produced this record, which is a cool story, is that they, you know, here we go. Magic had some sort of a, you know, like 11 a.m. noon shitty slot on, uh, you know, at Glastonbury or somewhere in the UK. Nobody was there. Right. So they're doing their set and it's huge, the main stage type set, but this is no, it's nobody's there. Right. But Tom York and Nigel Godrich happened to be walking across the lawn as they were playing. And so they watched the set and they loved it. And immediately afterwards, the guy, Nigel was like, I'm going to produce your record. Holy crap. And so like that kind of thing is just so cool. And it, I mean, it's, it's really a shame that they don't have that much success um, or they didn't become huge because they're such a brilliant band. I know they're a Brooklyn band. That's all I know about them. Yeah. And then Luke Temple, uh, the singer and the guitar player, he also produced the, um, oh, what's, uh, my, my brain's not working. Um, Adrian Lanker. Uh, Big Thief. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he, he produced uh, her solo record and oh. played with her, and I think he produced the Big Thief record, too. Okay. Maybe. But yeah, Luke is just total genius, like singer, guitar player, brilliant. Wow. Well, here we go, Magic, is the name of the band. Make Up Your Mind is the song. It's the Brian Oak Show.
<laughs> that was brilliant at the end. Here's why I like insisting that every single guest who comes by picks the music because, you know, you can play your own music and that's oh, cool. I that like to great. hear people's music, but I love to hear what other people oh, are into. Man. That was fucking badass, man. I love man. that. I love finding a band so like good, that where man. you're just like, holy shit, that was and good. It was, I mean, it was groovy and insistent and here was the thing. Most songs that I hear, I don't want to go hear live. I'd rather hear a well-produced studio version. I'll bet that song live is badass. It's totally ripping. Oh, here we go, Magic. Make Up Your Mind is the name of that one right there. Uh, Dosh is our guest, and before we get back to him, um, we probably should talk to our good friend Sean Bernard, who is also a sponsor on this show, because you are a realtor for Edina Realty. I am. My boss just called me while we were doing the show. Uh, are you fired? Well, I'm, I suppose, probably. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> You know, <laughs> always one second. Like, away. You need to sell something. Let's go. Let's From a management <laughs> perspective, Sean, there's always room for improvement. You know it. Well, she knows I do. A, I got a couple of side hustles, you know, a couple of podcasts that I work on. So but understood. Yeah. yeah it, so it's that time of the year where people are like, do people really move right now? Well, no, not today or this week. When and it's not cold this coming sell. weekend. No, but this is the time where you kind of decide if you're going to move this spring. You know, am I am I thinking about moving? Do I want to downsize? Do I want to upsize? Do I want to move out of the area? Who knows? But uh, if you know of anybody who's looking to buy or sell, give me a call at 612-859-2594, and we can set up a meeting and see if it even makes sense for you to move this year or not. 612-859-2594, that number is also text-worthy. Sounds way too reasonable. I'm not sure I trust him. Not sure I trust him. Martin Dosh is our guest. And before we, I want to end by talking about the forthcoming record. But before we do, you know, I, I, I alluded to it maybe a little too glibly earlier about someone who is a looper, you know, and who spends so much time in their laboratory creating what they do that it might not be the easiest thing to be a collaborative guy, but you're as defined musically by your collaboration as you are by your solo output, you've worked with some truly incredible people, and that requires a level of flexibility that, you know, if you were strictly a diva who I only do my own things, <laughs> I only have my music this way, it wouldn't work. So obviously you have a flexibility and a personability that works a great deal. But I, I don't want to say most notably, but very notably, you spent years working with Andrew Bird, who I had the occasion to cross paths with probably three or four times over the course of my professional radio career. Sort of a reticent star, doesn't necessarily crave the spotlight, at least not in the standard ways, or doesn't really love doing the promo and the press. But when asked to perform in those same situations, genuinely startling. And so when it yeah. comes, when it, for, from your perspective as a performer, when you're, well, first of all, how did you even meet Andrew Bird? How did that come to pass that you two worked together? Um, I opened a show for him um, in, I think, of February of 2005. Um, his manager, it was at the Loring Pasta Bar. Um, it was in the middle of a snowstorm or something, too. But uh, his manager, Andrea, had um, sent him a stack of CDs of local artists to possibly open and one of them is my record pure trash and he really liked it and so he asked me to open but he had i think he had thought he, or he, he had told me he had thought of me as sort of like more of a computer kind of dj kind of dude and then when he saw me play with my setup with my roads and drums and doing the looping thing which is what he was doing too um 
he didn't really hire me on the spot, but he was like, we need to get together like ASAP. And so he came to Minneapolis, um, after his tour, like in the summertime, we recorded some stuff with Tom Herber's, uh, third year. And then I went on tour with him, um, thinking September, something like that. Yeah. And then that was it. I started playing with him. Was it intuitive off the bat or, I mean, when you, when, you know, because an artist like, well, and I feel like kind of the same way about you, you have a very specific thing that you do and not very specific, but you're clearly following your own muse and there's no question that Andrew Bird does the same thing. And now it's time to work together. Do you find yourself immediately having an intuitive communication or are you sort of slowly dancing in from the outside to try to figure out where the space is to fill? No, it was super intuitive. I mean, just basically because... When it, the first year or so before Jeremy joined the band, it was just the two of us. And so I was tr- having to provide the bass and all the other uh, aspects. Um, but it's basically just as long as Andrew made a good, because when we first started, Andrew was making the loop and then I would play along with it. So as long as I could hear what the loop was, that was my job was just to keep time with that. But it was just, um, so fun to interact with him because it was like you said earlier it's like when you do it that way live it's different every time so the tempo could be a little bit slower a little bit faster he knows the tune he's playing a tune and it's my job to just keep tempo challenging but also it's got to be thrilling i mean that, that, totally that, that's thrilling. why you go back right that that's the thing that keeps you excited for the gig yeah, that night and just play yeah like, i mean i'm not sure if you've ever seen the show we the bonnaroo show from 2006 oh. Where it's just the, the two of us. Um, that was like one of the greatest experiences of my entire Jesus, life. Jesus, Bonner, were you in front of 150,000 people? <laughs> uh, no, it was one of the small stages. So it was probably about 5,000 people. But okay. Like, wow. But it was at noon, and it was just like... But you were so, in the pocket. Like, you had right, it. Well, no, no, but, it, but right, because because we were the first band, we actually sort of got a quote-unquote sound check, because usually, like, the best oh, nice. get a sound check. <laughs> right. So we were out there, like, at 11, you know, setting up our stuff, I'm just kind of going through a few things and just, you could just feel the people were like, even just during a sound check, people were like losing their shit. Awesome. And then, so when we finally hit the stage and did an hour long set, it was just like absolute, just, I mean, I probably was like rode those endorphins for, you know, a year. I love this. Just Do- Dosh, show. just to be clear though, you know, those people were high as shit. Right? <laughs> Definitely. <man. laughs> because Bonnaroo, am I right? Bonnaroo. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Brian Oak Show, and we do have to wrap up here shortly. But before we go, um, there are so many things we haven't even begun to touch on. So you have to promise you'll come back at some point in the not-too-distant future, like maybe sure, after man. the new record comes out. Definitely, man. Let's talk about the new record then before we let you go here. As much as we know about it now, you said April, May, maybe June, somewhere late spring, early summer, we're going to get a new Dosh record. The first one in a long time. And I know that you are the I was trying to give you a chance to clear that <laughs> hack out of your throat. I like to have a little phlegm in my throat, Sean. <laughs> I know that you are the architect and you like to, I mean, obviously you're the one writing the songs, you're the one making it, but again, there's collaboration on here. In fact, your friend Andrew Bird shows up on the new record? He does, yeah. There's a, the, the list of collaborators in this record, if you just look at the 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 personnel list, is pretty nuts. I, I'm not actually quite sure how it all worked out that way. Way, but um, people that other uh, people might know, um, Jeff Parker and Dan Bittany from Tortoise are both on the record. Wow, um, Tobacco, uh, who's a 
hip hop hip hop producer is on the record on a tune. The nunnery is on the record, and then the usual suspects like Jeremy and Jeremy Ilvesacker, right? Il- Ilvesacker, yeah. yeah. And um, Mark Erickson from both from Cloak Ox. Uh, this new young bass player named Charlie Lincoln plays upright on a bunch of it, and he's just absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting eighteen thousand people. Of all, course you are. They'll but be mad at me. Also, I mean, like we don't have list. a broom. We don't have a broom big enough to sweep up all the names you just dropped in here. Okay, so I'm fucking around, man. Because I, I'm interested in this. I think it's going to be good. And it's been too long, man. It's going to be good to have a new record from you. Are you excited, excited about the record? That's the most important I'm, part. I'm so excited. I'm just like I'm just thrilled. I mean, it's it's very, it's definitely very dashy. As that's a fuck. That's a cool. Word. I'm in. But it's, it is it's now. Like, it's also like really i mean it's i guess more jazzy there's like a lot more saxophones on it oh chris thompson is on it too and jake baldwin on trumpet um love the trumpet yeah but uh has anybody ever come and bought one of your beats and said i'm going to use this for a sample i don't know if anybody's ever actually mm, i mean they've stolen them for sure (laughs) but has anyone ever written you a check not for, well, yeah, I guess some, some small checks maybe, but not not nothing big, you know. Look at that, how modest, how <laughs> modest is our I, friend Dosh? I, I always get shit from my friends, my um, my rap friends from Anticon, my friend Brandon who helped. Actually, my friend Brandon was the uh, Brandon Best from Anticon, otherwise known as the Pedestrian, or used to be known as the Pedestrian, but he teaches at USC, and he actually was the one who came up with the title for the record, which is going to be called Tomorrow, nineteen seventy-two. Um, he's a brilliant poet, and he actually wrote a poem for our friend Bran, uh, otherwise known as Alias, from Anticon, who passed away uh, a couple of years ago. And it's this beautiful poem called Tomorrow's from the Bones. Um, and so that's like a spoken word over a beat, but he didn't pay me for the beat. <laughs> <laughs> well, but at least it was for an important cause. Um, we could go on for a long time, and we got to wrap it up right there. Cool, uh, Dosh, thank you very much. Thanks, man. That was fantastic. Thank new you. record. We'll stay in touch about the new record. Definitely. Thank and, you guys so much. Yeah, gladly. And um, nice to see you in person. It's nice to get out of the house occasionally, isn't it? Most deaf. And I really, really hope, I don't know, by June we might not be there yet, but hopefully before the end of the year you'll be able to bring what you do live out to a much wider audience. And if you do have an album release show for that album, A, you come back on this show and talk about it, and B, I know a certain Sean Bernard and Brian Oak that better be on the freaking guest list. <laughs> oh, yeah. I haven't oh, been on yeah. a guest list in a year. God damn it, I want to go back out of the house. Oh, I can't believe it. Dosh, thank you very much, man. Peace out, Brian. All right, man. Take care, and we'll look forward to that new record tomorrow, 1972. Is that the right name? That's it. All right, fabulous. We'll look forward to it. Thank you very much for coming by. You're not done talking yet because... So, you know, over the last 10 years, after you've been doing radio for so long, going out to so many shows, you start to get older, you start to take things for granted. At least that's what I started to do. And people are like, hey, you want to go out and see this band? I'm like, no, man, I get up for work at 4 o'clock tomorrow morning. I'm not going out on a fucking Wednesday to see a band. But then occasionally, cool local bands would flow through your transom. And one of the only bands that consistently both surprised me and impressed me every time someone's like, you should hear this song, was the Cloak Ox. And I didn't pretend to know anything about the cloak ox i've never seen the cloak ox live but i've never not liked a single song i've heard by cloak ox tell me about how cloak ox came together and about this song and that's how we're going to wrap up the show oh word up yes um so cloak ox is uh basically it's andy broder's uh sort of brainchild idea but um when andy put out his first fog record um back in i think it was 2000 well, he released it by himself in 2001. 
then Ninja Tune picked it up and they put it out. And uh, cool Canadian label, by the way, that does a lot of like weird breakbeat stuff. And... Uh, it's not. I think it's English. Oh, Ninja Tune. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay, it's, right on. For yeah. some reason, I thought they were Canadian, but Money. they still do a ton of breakbeat stuff and oh, a yeah, lot, yeah. a lot of cool like big yeah. beat stuff too. Yep. So when they put it out, then um, and we'd been playing shows around town as a four piece with me, Jeremy Elvisacker, Mark Erickson, and Andy singing and writing all the tunes. Um, and we toured a bunch, and then once I started doing my solo stuff, I sort of stopped playing with them. And uh, so basically, Clocox is sort of a reiteration of that original four people. And so um, instead of being as experimental as Fog was, Andy sort of started writing for our strengths and weaknesses and just playing to our strengths, basically, by creating these songs. And, like, um, yeah, it, I don't know. It was... I don't, it's hard to say. I, I think that this record that uh, this song is off of, um, Shoot the Dog, is like, I don't know, it's probably, it's probably the best drumming I've ever done. And the best, I think it's the best band project I've ever been a part of, really. Wow, well, and I, I like I said, I'm not saying it because you're sitting right here across from me. This is one of the most interesting Minnesota music anythings I've heard in the last 10 years. I've always liked it every time someone's played it for me, and um, that's how we're going to wrap up. Good to see you, man. Sean, you take care. You too. Audio Quip, thank you. Smart Start MN, thank you. Patreon members, thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Here's Minnesota music from the Cloak Ox. The song is called Pigeon Lung, which is weird on the Brian Oak Show.